know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Victory and J-Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show. We really do appreciate you listening. Mm -hmm. uh, today, we are going to talk about profound bravery. We are going to discuss the, um, I guess, what would have been historically expected of the Christian mm -hmm. Um we kind of have lost this along the way a little bit because we, uh, unfortunately, in many instances, we haven't had to be so brave here in the United States of America. Yeah. And we have seen bravery that would have been expected. It would have been the norm of the Christian church. We have seen that sort of, um, I don't know, be, be pushed to the margins of our faith. Yeah. Uh, sort yeah. of like the doctrine of suffering as well. That's been pushed mm. to the margins of our faith. And those things actually might be kind of connected. I hadn't thought about that until just now, but those things might be connected. If you push the doctrine of suffering mm -hmm. um, to the margins of our faith, then bra bravery might go with that. I think right? they are connected. The, yeah. I think they are connected. Yeah. Yes. So, so I, what I wanted to do today was I wanted to have a conversation around that in light of this incredible expose that um, Matt Walsh has done regarding Vanderbilt. And really, I, you know, I have to say this for the Christian, we didn't need this new information to come to light mm -hmm. um, for us to be outraged. We're outraged because it violates the tenets of God's word. That's right. We're outraged because we can identify sin and we don't need a degree for that. Right. right. Um, and we have compassion for people, real compassion, not yes. manufactured compassion that only works in 21st century America. We have real compassion for people, but it's interesting when you get these, uh, and, and I'm kind of in this for the clips. we got a couple clips that we want to play so that you can hear these people in their own words. I'm, I'm sort of here for that. Right. Um, but it's, but it's interesting when based on your biblical conviction you then are able to gather more information where where you are then able to say, and in addition to this, mm -hmm. these people don't really care about people. Right. Yep. Right. Like in addition to this, these people are just after money. Money. Yep. So so we'll <laughs> spend some time talking about that. I know we've got some announcements. We've been reminding our listeners of things that are happening here at the American Family Association. Again, mm -hmm. I didn't say I was going to. Well, I'm ready. For. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Will the Great. <laughs> hey, look, I had, look, a few, a few, uh, a couple minutes before the show, I had to run back to my office and get the get the notes because I, I remembered yes. that you were probably going to ask me this. So, Very listener good. stories. We are uh, gathering listener stories now to play during our fall charathon, and we'd like to hear from you. So, if you would like to submit one of those listener stories, we would really appreciate it. Uh, call eight seven seven eight seven six eight eight nine three. 877-876-8893 and you may hear your listener story on our fall share -a -thon. And also, let's see here, on October 13th, 
6 p.m. Central Time, you're invited to join a special episode of AFA at Home, hosted by Walker Wildman, uh, Vice President of Operations for AFA. Uh, it is an exclusive opportunity to hear the untold story of how God used AFA Action's leadership team to help overturn Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood uh, v. Casey. Mm. Uh, to, to watch that, just go to streaming.afa.net. That's October 13th, uh, 6 p.m. Oh, All wait, right. one more, one more. Oh. Okay. Marriage Sorry. Family Life Conference will be happening July 6th, 7th, 8th, 2023. Mm-hmm. So like I said yesterday, just get your calendars out. Make sure that you block those days out, you know, off. You know, you might want to extend your 4th of July, whatever you want to do. <laughs> but July 6th, 7th, 8th uh, in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, Bancorp South Arena, um, MFL 23. Very good. Yes. Very, very good. Well, let's just kind of um, start with having a conversation around the idea of bravery and what would have been inherent uh, to the, the I, I would say, the attitude of the church, right? Mm-hmm. That we we live in a time, um, I think about the early church, um, we live in a time where persecution is is real, persecution is rampant, and we have a firm understanding of, of doctrine. We have a firm understanding, a fixed understanding of what it is that we believe and why we believe those things. And so persecution would have been one of those things that would have demanded a type of bravery. And I'm wondering, even as we kind of um, unpack this and, and invite our listeners to think, uh, to think alongside us, mm-hmm. um, bravery tends to make people think, and and I, I'd like to get your take on this, yeah. Will the Great. I think bravery tends to make people think that there isn't a fear. Mm. Like when we think of bravery, mm. we tend to think that those people almost sort of have a supernatural sort of um, presentation, like it's a superhuman type thing. We almost, in some ways, detach bravery from from the necessity that there is fear. Mm. If there is no fear, then it's not bravery, Mm. right? Like I'm not, you're not going to call me brave for washing dishes. Like what, what's brave about that? So it has to be something that would, you know, cause you to to feel a certain type of way that you overcome that and do what's necessary um, in spite of the fear. Exactly right. And yes. and I would say that this is what characterized the early church. So when we think of the martyrs, so for example, we've been reading through Fox's Book of Martyrs with our kids. Um, and one of the reasons that we wanted to read through that with them and have discussions around this is because we wanted to connect their faith uh, and what they believe about the Lord Jesus Christ to our brothers and sisters who lived way, way long ago and had the same exact beliefs, right? And we're able to and willing to suffer because of those beliefs, because we have a real faith, right? Yeah. So we've been reading yeah. through that. And um, one of the things that I think we tend to think about the martyrs is that um, they were racing to die. You, mm. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And of course, we have these accounts where, you know, you've got people who don't tarry, right? So that, that would be like your, your polycarps, right? Okay, let's go. Don't, don't keep dragging this out. Um, But I think what we don't recognize is that the martyrs would have preferred not to die. Mm. Now, how do we know that? We know that because the Lord has designed us to not want our life to be taken. Mm -hmm. That is not something that we want. It is something that we actually have to like overcome when we talk about death and dying. We have to 
overcome our natural inclination to want to live. We are designed in every aspect, in every way that we can. Um, even I would say physically, we're designed to want to live. The reason you recoil from a hot stove is because there is a certain amount of self-preservation that the Lord has given us that yeah. we don't want to hurt. We don't want to feel pain. Um, yeah. Where you know, if you're in water and you're going down, your your you know your reflex is to try to get air because you want to live. Everything inside of us wants to live. And so for the martyrs, the thing that I think should really grab our attention is that in the midst of this great desire that they have, yes, I I want to live, they wanted God to be glorified more, Mm. right? They wanted the gospel to remain pure. They wanted the presentation of the gospel to remain intact. And so because of that, they were driven to sacrifice themselves following in the Lord Jesus's footsteps, right? Even though that was not their natural inclination, they were willing to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and then they were recorded. We read about them even today. Yes. So as I think about this and I think about the profundity of bravery, right? This, mm. this type of brave bravery that causes people to take note or causes it to, to be written about Well, we're even reading about it today. Yeah, right. Right. Um, how do we reconnect to that type of bravery? Um, one, I think we stop thinking about the physical death that we often think of when we think of the martyrs, mm-hmm. right? Physical death was their price at that time. That, that was the price that they paid for their allegiance to Christ. Mm-hmm. So we are able to kind of sort of, you know, think... Um, not in a connected sense to that because that's we're not really facing that, <laughs> right? But we have other prices that we pay in our culture today, in our society today. And and I would say this, you know, and, and I think this is what the martyrs understood. Um, certainly you read some of their writing. I mean, they, they really understood that death was not the worst thing. Yeah. Death was not the worst thing. Um if we kind of look at this in a, in a current modern sense, right? We are facing being ostracized in the larger culture. We are facing the loss of family members, right? We're, we're, we're facing the loss of jobs. We are, we are facing the loss of, of influence and all of these things that in a very real sense, if you think about it in a very real sense, mm-hmm. it falls into this category of a type of, a willingness to say, for the sake of the gospel, mm-hmm. I give up those things, right? Now, Jesus spoke a lot about this. Jesus spoke about, and I wrote down a few scriptures. I was thinking about this and wanted to have a conversation a, a, around this. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, and I'm just going to read it. And just think about this. Like, guys, these are the kinds of like real-time conversations that we need to have in our struggle with conceptualizing what is required of us who claim Christ. Mm. If we say that we are Christians, what does that really mean? Does that, and, and this is a battle that has faced the church for a very long time. Indeed, when you look at the, the age of the earth and all of these things, Christians have repeatedly made these disastrous like um, accommodations or these concessions, these, these you know, foolish compromises where the world presents something and we say, well, the Bible um, maybe didn't know something. And so then we try to mesh together um, what we want to accept of the Bible and what the world is pushing. 
Yeah. And this is still happening today, right? This 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 is still happening today. Certainly with the conversation about uh gender and human sexuality, right? Who defines that? You see, still Christians today mm-hmm. are trying to find a way to reconcile what is written in scripture to what is happening in culture and calling that a compromise, not <laughs> realizing that anytime you compromise with the gospel, which is something you have received, it is not yours to amend. Right. It is not yours to compromise over. It is, right. it is just what it is, right? You are giving up something that is critical to the faith. And, and it's amazing to me how easy the Lord has made it by giving us his word. And all, all we have to do is stand on that. So when when the heat comes and when the pressure comes, we stand on the word. It's his word, not ours. We didn't make this yes. stuff up. You know, it, it's it's one of those things that's is is mind boggling that we try to compromise with mm-hmm. uh, with the world on things. And we why would we even do that? You know, when we have clearly laid out what things are, are supposed to be. Well, I think the compromise is because now we won't admit this, but I think the compromise is because of fear. Yeah, I, I really yeah. do. I think and and whatever your particular fear is, the root of it is fear. Yeah. So right. it could be a fear of public disapproval, especially. And, and so what do you call it? And one. So it would be a fear <laughs> of public disapproval mm-hmm. and the type of disapproval that says you're an idiot because you mm-hmm. assert that. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that we don't like that you said it, but it's that the fact that you said that um, really makes you sort of, um, you know, an imbecile in, in our in our culture. Or hateful, so I think, or, you know, or not, hateful. not having any care for people, you know. Yes. Haters not, of your You don't have compassion. Yeah. Haters, early church, <laughs> right. early church history. Right. That was right. a charge that, that the Christians faced, mm-hmm. right? Haters of your fellow man. So, but how does, how does Jesus describe for the apostles how they are to navigate giving up all of those things for him? For him, because this was a question that the apostle Peter had. And, and actually, I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 19. I know we're headed to the break here, but then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to start at verse 27. Then Peter said to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus hmm. said to them, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in this generation or in this regeneration, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Okay, we'll grab the break and we'll pick up right here when we get back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Uh, we're the Addisons, mm-hmm. by the way, just yes. in case people are new to the program. We're married. Um, mm-hmm. This December, 18 years, we have six children. Um, they range in ages 15 down to two in just a couple of days. And um, we are actively, our endeavor here, even what you hear in the program, the conversations that we're having, 
um, is the the attempt to live out Christianity in 21st century America. What does it mean as we look at and are navigating these issues? Is the Bible sufficient? That is the question. Do we have what we need to learn how to navigate these issues? Um, and is it is it just a matter of application? So that's a summary of what Aaron the Addisons is all about. Uh, anyway, I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that was Flame with Believe. You know, the thing that really strikes me about um Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, where mm-hmm. Peter asks, you know, because this is following the, the rich young ruler who goes away sad because he's got all these possessions. It's interesting that the apostle Peter is sort of like, well, what about us? Like we, you know, we've mm-hmm. we've given up things to follow you. And the Lord is saying, obviously, um, I see that and there is a reward for you. But the reward is not just for the apostles. There is an award for a reward for everyone who does this, everyone who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is something that I think, like, let's just pause for a second Mm -hmm. and consider this. The reward is not only eternal life. So it must say something about giving up our current comforts for the name of Jesus Christ, that in addition addition to um, eternal life, Mm There is something else that is given to those people who do that. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the significance of that? And and, and again, some of these questions I'm going to ask, I'm not I'm not poised to offer an answer to those questions. But I think sometimes just pausing to think about the question. So if we have um, a friend or if we have a child, right, who is enticing us and tempting us to be drawn away from the faith, but we reject that Mm -hmm. and we say, no, Mm. the gospel is sufficient. What God has designed is perfect. I believe the word of God and that costs us something. Yeah. Look, that's the giving up of the family members. Do you wow. understand? Wow. So often we we are like, well, I can't I can't kick my kid out of the house. I don't understand. I mean, I can't believe that Jesus would expect. But look, even if you're honest at a basic level, you're like unwilling to dis- disagree with your kid. Mm. Like even if 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 you're having a conversation and you've got a mom, you've got you're talking to your mother. And your mother's like, "Well, here's how I see it. I think." And your mom asserts something that is not biblical. And you know, it's not biblical. Mm-hmm. How many of us kind of stop and like, you know, we kind of weigh it out like, mm. <laughs> should I defend the honor of the Lord? Should I say <laughs> that that's, that that's not true? Should mm-hmm. I, what if that causes a rift? What, what if that causes sort of like a, mm, it splinters the family. These are the things that if you look at uh, the Hebrew writer and what we commonly call the hall of fame of, of faith, yeah. right? You've got these individuals who were willing to suffer because they were looking ahead to a promise that they believed was real, right? And the Hebrew writer actually says that the world is not worthy of them. Mm. The world is not worthy of them. But think about this in a sense, what this profound bravery, it enables us to do things that other people think that's not worth it. Yeah. Or maybe even we ourselves were like, I, I just don't know how I'm going to say this or how I'm going to do this. We just know that we have to do it. If you read church history, um, 
something I'm a huge fan of. If you read church history, you kind of start with the, the church after Acts. You have to kind of begin with the martyrs, right? Because the church after Acts um, almost immediately presents those who are dying for the faith. And, and I think it's connected to the sincerity of the faith the freshness of the faith, right? Mm. That it's not had time yet to be watered down or for people to find all of these cultural reasons why that can't be what Jesus meant. <laughs> but then as time goes on and as we develop and as we become, you know, more intellectually evolved, uh, we, we can kind of come up with these reasons why exactly what Jesus said is not what he meant. And of course we have situational ethics where we can say, but in this particular case, um, I don't know, because 21st century America, we, we, we could engage in pronoun hospitality today. We could use um, f- fake pronouns, whatever a person determines, right, right um, to win them for Christ. I mean. <laughs> and, and then once we've won them, once they say, yeah. I want that Jesus that you have presented, which, by the way, you have not presented Jesus. <laughs> You're lying to a person. Okay, about what Jesus said about sexuality and sexual identity. If you present something other, you've not actually presented Jesus. Right. You've just reflected back to that person their confusion. Right. That's all you've done. And so then when you say, you say, well, when they come to Christ, then there'll be time or there'll be room for us to kind of flip the script and then say, Mm -hmm. but now here's Mm -hmm. what Jesus requires. My thing is, and, and there, there are many problems in that, but the big glaring problem is that they haven't come to Christ if you've presented to them a Christ you designed, which is the one that they suggested. Come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like if a person right. comes to the Christ that they have suggested. Now, remember, this is the blind leading the blind. Like, you know, my, my question is, so when people come into our churches, why have they come into our churches? Or if we're talking about using pronoun hospitality, just to stay with this illustration here, if people come into our churches and, and we have been told that we need to create safe spaces or maybe even in, inside our homes, we need to create safe spaces for our children where they can gather under the banner of a lie because I, I want to leave the door open for the gospel. But like, but, but like winner <laughs> then that never really happens no especially know? if it's if if you have made a person comfortable with a lie right like when are you gonna like flip it and say okay what I really want to tell you is this like that that does not happen easily you know and and so I think I think we're fooling ourselves if we think that's the way it's gonna be you know and, and what Christ are you presenting you know? Um, I was reading and looking at one example to use um, mm-hmm. from church history, an example of a martyr. And um, I pulled Ignatius and, and I, I want to um, kind of read just a little um, a little a, a piece of his um, his account, his willingness to die for the gospel. And, and really, I kind of want to get to um, what he left to the Christians mm-hmm. as far as his challenge to them that uh, Jesus Christ is worthy. But in order to do that, I want to paint a picture for you for who Ignatius was. And and again, if we can do this for ourselves and if we can do this for our children, if we can connect the Bible accounts to the early church just outside of Acts, mm-hmm. right? Then it's much easier for us to follow the timeline because we often think, again, we think of the gospel getting from the apostles to us, almost sort of like a, a long pass. 
but the gospel really has passed hand to hand. Okay. It's one person in this generation to the next person in that same generation, then to the next. So that's why intergenerational um, uh, community is so important. Right. So, so here is Ignatius and I'm going to read, this is from, um, this is James Garlow's book, How God Saved Civilization. This, and, and the reason I often go to this book, I love church history books. I have several of them. But the reason I go to this book is because James Garlow, in my opinion, uh, and he wrote this book back in 2000. He was looking at 2000 years of the church, by the way. And the reason I often go back to this book is because it's so readable. It is less like um, an academic book, of which I have several of those, and I enjoy them. But if I'm trying to make a point, and even talking with our kids, I suggest that they read this book. J.D. right now is writing a paper on the medieval church, so the, the church in the Middle Ages. And I gave him several books to which he rolled his eyes, like, oh, come <laughs> on. He said, I thought I was picking an easy project. And I said, you picked church history. Do you know your mama? <laughs> Like my, my standards will be very high. And of the hmm. books that I gave him, uh, he, he basically said, I'm not using those, mama. I don't like the way that they're written, but I will use how God saves civilization. So it's very readable, very accessible. <laughs> and I like it. So let me read this to you. And then we'll get into looking at some of the um, some of the things that Matt Walsh has exposed. And I'm going to connect those two things. OK, when we talk about profound bravery. So just listen in for a second. This is Ignatius. OK. One of the earliest to die for his faith was Ignatius, the Bishop of Antioch. Yes, guys, that Antioch where they were first called Christians. Okay. All right. Here we go. Well, that's actually in the book. I should have just kept reading. All right. (laughs) One of the earliest to die for his faith was Ignatius, the Bishop of Antioch, where they were first called Christians. (laughs) A close friend of the Apostle John, Ignatius was the first to describe the church as Catholic, meaning universal. It was a way of saying that the church is not merely a collection of individual churches, but a universal church spread across the world. Ignatius was condemned to die during the reign of Roman Emperor Trajan. After being taken prisoner, he was escorted by 10 soldiers from city to city on his way to Rome. During this difficult season, he wrote seven letters, six of which were addressed to the churches, Ephesus, Magnesia, Trialis, Rome, Philadelphia, and Smyrna. The seventh was for his good friend, Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna. In these amazing letters, Ignatius expressed his deep appreciation to believers who had bidden him farewell as he was forcibly taken on the trip to Rome. He encourages them to be faithful in spite of potential persecution, and he urges his friend Polycarp to, quote, stand firm like an anvil under the hammer, end quote. (laughs) Guys, we we don't have people who are doing this for us today. We don't have enough people telling us, hey, you got to keep telling the truth. It doesn't matter how the hammer comes down. Stand firm. Be an anvil. All right. You get you got to stand firm. We need more people doing this. I'm going to continue. It is little wonder that Christians who shared the incredible fortitude expressed by Ignatius had an impact. This is what Ignatius said, quote, I would rather die for Christ than rule the whole earth. Leave me to the beasts that I may by them be a partaker of God. Welcome nails and cross. Welcome broken bones, bruised body. Welcome all diabolic torture. If I may but obtain the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That kind of allegiance is something that is foreign to us, but it is inherent in the church. It's inherent to the church. It is a part of our DNA. 
right? This indeed is how the gospel got to us. So again, when we have questions about human sexuality, sexual identity, and this huge transgender discussion that we are having today, so many of us are sort of, we're saying, okay, give me all of that, the information that you guys have, give me all of the facts that you have. But what if I tell you that the facts and the the research, mm-hmm. the discoveries that you're going to hear in just a, a, a few moments, all of those things are supplements to your ultimate authority, which is the word of God. Amen. Amen. What if what if those things emboldened you just a little bit more? But but really, you were bold because Jesus. Mm. Right. Like what if what if those things sort of gave gave <laughs> you another talking point, but it wasn't your chief talking point? What if you said, I can't lie to people about God's design for human sexuality and sexual identity because Jesus Christ is worthy because God must be glorified in the earth. What if you began there? And and here's what I understand. All right. I understand that there are people um, who would say that's, that's not enough for me, Miki. I got to have science, but you live in a culture that is rejecting science. Mm. Do you understand? They are de- they are the science deniers. So if they're rejecting science, right, and you have this information, you keep talking about the information until you're blue in the face. You talk about the psychological effects of telling a person that they can go from male to female, which is a lie. They cannot do it. Then we talk about uh, chemically transi- transitioning children. All right. Making children um, sterile in our culture. And that is hailed as a celebration of freedom and, um, affirmation, right? This is, this is supposed to be a major sort of like win for our culture. And then, and, and let me put a disclaimer in place here because we're going to talk about some content here. When we talk about Vanderbilt's transgender health clinic, that may not be suitable for uh, young listeners. So just if you've got some, or if you're listening and your parents might not approve, then you might step away for integrity's sake. Okay. We are telling children that they can remove healthy breast tissue. We are telling children that we can create male reproductive organs using flesh from other parts of their body mm-hmm. and that it will, you will be like a man. We are telling boys that we can redesign for you female reproductive organs, which that's a lie because they, it's not going to reproduce. You don't have those organs. You, you, but we're, what we're going to do is give you something that looks like a woman, which by the way, we're still not really sure what a woman is, but we know that if you want to look like a woman, we do kind of have a design, but now, but you know, and so now the latest thing that I saw is even that there's this move to just create sort of like the Ken doll and the Barbie doll look for people's lower halves. Okay. Mm. Guys, we are, our, man, our culture man. is swirling down into the bottom of the toilet here. We're on that last sort of spin around. And so who are the people that are going to be faithful unto death? Who are the people who are willing for everything, right, to give up everything, our comfort, our being thought well of by the culture? Who are the people who are willing to do that in exchange for saying Jesus Christ is worthy? Amen. And that there just aren't questions that we're going to explore 
that the Bible does not provide an answer to. I'm I'm hoping that it's I'm hoping that it's us. Yeah. I, I'm hoping for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our posterity, that there will be those of us who will return to the authority of God's word and all of the other discoveries and exposés will just sort of like, oh, well, that's neat. But we already knew that. Right. All right. We'll grab the break and we'll be right back. Just give me Jesus. There's nothing I desire that can't be found in you. You're everything that I've ever needed. Just give me Jesus. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and it's Just Give Me Jesus, Unspoken. Talking about profound bravery here. I was listening to um, Matt Walsh yesterday, and um, I, I actually kind of went back. It wasn't yesterday's episode that really I was like, oh, my goodness, we need to spread this information far and wide. It was the episode before that, so I guess it would have been Tuesday, um, where he and his team um, <laughs> exposed Vanderbilt University uh, in Nashville. And, and I, I was thinking, wow, you know, we kind of know that these people don't care about those that they would call patients, right? <laughs> we we kind of know that those who are engaging in what is called gender affirming care is actually not care, right? Like right. If, a, if a person is confused or if a person has questions, to affirm the confusion is not care. But I, I think it, it's one of those things where if you say something to someone long enough, you it's like you're telling them, no, it is so because I'm telling you that. <laughs> so if you just say gender affirming care long enough, then people will think that that is care. It is actually not care. Yeah. It's a reckless disregard for people. It's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath that you take as a doctor, right? To say that I'm going to remove healthy breast tissue just because a person doesn't doesn't want it. And minors. But here is what Matt Walsh exposed um, on on his podcast a couple of days ago, that uh, when this program started at Vanderbilt, their transgender health center, okay, when their clinic opened in 2018, it was the result of a medical director, a woman by the name of Dr. Shane Taylor, pushing to the hospital that this is going to be very lucrative, for us to get into. So it's sort of like the, yeah, 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 we care. We care about people. <clears throat> but, yo, we could make bank right. off of this. Of course, it's not going to be said that way, but that's how I say it. I'm from New Orleans. I mean, that's that's what basically they're saying. We care about people, but, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in this. And so here is Matt Walsh exposing this on his podcast. This is clip one. Starting in January 1st of 2017, <clears throat> according to the Affordable Care Act, Insurance cover carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. Um, some of our BUMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, sorry, October of 2016, starting a couple of years ago, put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Um, so female to male chest reconstruction, can bring in $40,000. A patient just on routine hormone treatment, who I'm only seeing a few times a year, can bring in several thousand dollars because that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. 
Now these I got from the internet, um, but it's from uh, the Philadelphia Center for Transgender Surgery, which has um, does a lot of um, surgery for patients. And I just want to give you an idea of how much these bottom surgeries are making. And this is, I think this has to be an underestimate. Uh, this is for a vaginoplasty. They're saying, they're quoting roughly around $20,000 for a vaginoplasty, but that doesn't include your hospital stay, that doesn't include your post-op visits, that doesn't include um, your anesthesia, your OR. So I would think that this has to be a gross underestimate. I think that's just like the surgeon's um, piece of it, which anybody who's ever been in a hospital knows that that's like 10% of it. Uh, and then the female to male bottom surgeries, these are huge money makers. Again, I think this has to be an underestimate that they're quoting around $20,000 for a phalloplasty. There's been different things that I've read that said it could be up to $100,000. Um, Dr. Winokur, who's our surgeon, says that there's entire clinics where the entire clinic is supported just by their phalloplasties, and that is like a fraction of the surgeries that they're doing. These surgeries are labor intensive, they require a lot of follow-ups, they require a lot of OR time, and they make money. They make money for the hospital. Guys, mm-hmm. like, Dr. Shane yeah. Taylor yeah. saying... Listen, this is going to this is going to be this is <laughs> incredibly lucrative for us. Yeah. Okay? There's yeah. one clinic. Now, let me give a disclaimer. Again, if you're listening with kids, I hate that I have to do that, but at the same time I want to respect your family and respect the young people that you're trying to rear and train and disciple. So, so again, not suitable for young listeners here. Because the ugly truth is we just hear We've talked about language and we've talk, talked about terms and how um, in many instances, liberal God haters are very good at using catchphrases to obscure what they're actually doing. It's true. So they say things like top surgery, bottom surgery. It's like, you know, maybe it's a kidney stone. <laughs> There's a lot of things, right? Bottoms. Like what? What? Maybe it's something. Maybe it's like, no, what we are talking about is that you've got even minors. Mm-hmm. Okay who are going into a situation where they are confused and they don't get the type of care that is care. They just get affirmation. Yeah, that's right. But what about if the affirmation is ultimately motivated by the bottom line? If the affirmation, like, doesn't that seem like that's a conflict of interest that you, how can you really counsel and quote unquote care for people if, if when you care for them, okay, the outcome one way leads mm-hmm. to financial gain and lots of it, and the other way, not so much. Yeah. You know, what we're hearing is just hearts waxing cold. Like, yes. it reminds me of when they did that investigation, or that had those videos about Planned Parenthood. Parenthood Come and on. that lady was sitting down there eating a the salad, you know, just talking, talking about, about she wanted to get a Lamborghini. Yeah. And it's like, this is just a business meeting for them, but these are real people. Real people. Come you know, on, Will. So that, yes. that the heart of that is not even there anymore. Like they're, yes. they're, they're talking about it as this a business transaction. That's a great point. You know, we're gonna make a lot of money with this. That but is these a are great people. point. These are oh, image bearers. Goodness. You know? Oh my goodness. Who will suffer the consequences of these hospitals all across the country that are engaging in this? Mm-hmm. They will suffer the consequences of these hospitals seeking gain, 
seeking financial gain, seeking to make cultural grabs. I mean, it's interesting. And I, man, I think it's such an excellent comparison what you're saying here. When we go back to, I I think it was 2015, where you've got the harvesting of baby body parts by these Planned Parent clinics. And you've got this woman sitting over a salad talking about how she's going to do what she's doing and, and how lucrative it is for her to do what she's doing and why she'll continue doing what she's doing because she wants a Lamborghini. You're talking about the pieces of, of human mm. beings. Mm. I think that is exactly the comparison that we should make to the conversations we're having today, that you've got real people connected to these double mastectomies, real women, real girls yeah. who we already know. And I say, this is how bad it is when in real time, the culture is lurching back. Mm. Like we're not getting decades down the line. This is in real time. You've got girls who were 17 and now they're 21 and they're saying, I can't undo this. And I was affirmed every step of the way and they're angry. And now what we know is that you've got medical professionals who are saying, um, this is a moneymaker for us. Mm. So when you talk about, and please excuse me so that we can, Understand, pardon, I don't mean to be unnecessarily graphic here. But in our culture, there are terms that are just thrown around and we bank on kind of like people's ignorance so that they will disconnect those terms from reality. Right. So then we say things like top surgery. No, what we're talking about is for women, we're talking about double mastectomies. We're talking about reconstructing their chest to look like a male chest. Mm-hmm. This is this is what we're talking about. Yeah. So then we talk about bottom surgeries. Mm-hmm. We're talking about for women peeling back flesh from other parts of their bodies <laughs> and using it to construct a fake male organ. Right. For men, we are talking about peeling back pieces of their flesh from other parts of their body to construct a fake female presenting part. You know, let me say this. It's amazing that they can never say what it actually is. They have to come up with all these different lighter terms, even in their business meeting. They can't say because they know that this is not right. Like Mm -hmm. they they will not just call it what it is. So they have this bottom surgery, top surgery stuff. Mm -hmm. And they don't even discuss between themselves, you know, what they're doing. It's like, it's just amazing because this happens all of the time you know, where they have to lighten up the, the terms, you know. Because people would be outraged at the reality. If yes. you If you've ever seen any documentaries or any discussions, um, certainly, you know, constructing certain body parts and you, you look at the people's thighs or their forearms where they have removed the flesh that they are going to use in the reconstruction – it is some of the most graphic, gruesome things that you will ever see. And it's like, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> and you've got the YouTube influencers, right, who are just like, just just um, getting ready for my bottom surgery. Getting ready for just. Mm-hmm. Guys, we live in. So mm-hmm. here's when we talk about profound bravery. We're talking about people being able to tell the truth because where does it ultimately go? Those who are confused and it starts out. So so not only are we in this country, not only are we pro medically, quote unquote, transitioning children, but also socially transition. And, and that's sort of like the gateway. Right. Like that's how we that's and, and that's not only happening just in the culture at large. 
Okay, you start to boil it all down. You see that it's happening in almost like every area where we are. So it's happening in the church that we have. We have girls who are presenting themselves as boys in the church. And we just look away because that's hold up. You don't say it, but that's gender affirming. We don't we don't talk about the confusion that is obviously being presented. We're not willing to get our hands dirty. So we've got people coming into our church who are presenting themselves in a different way. And they may not come out and say, hey, I'm transgender, but they, they're they sort of like venturing into it and we just don't say anything because there is not that profound bravery. There is not that willingness to be like, you know, yeah. disliked. Yeah. And then it's happening again, we know, in our schools. Oh, now man. it's happening in hospitals where doctors cannot even use the skills that they trained for. They, they cannot even use like the basic. Okay. So they can't use like basic cause human skills, but they, then they, they also can't use their training. They cannot assess according to their training. And, and, and you can forget about religious Liberty. What? You can forget about saying, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to be harming someone irreparably and they don't fully understand what they're doing. I cannot do it. I, 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 I just say, I, you know, this does not align with what I believe, you know, biblically. Like just my, my Christian belief. You can't you say that <laughs> it's over in 2019. Um, again, as exposed by the Matt Walsh show in 2019, Vanderbilt um, health law expert, woman by the name of Ellen Wright Clayton said as much, if you're thinking about objecting to this because of conscience, then you might not want to work at Vanderbilt. Here she is, clip two. If you are going to assert conscientious objection, you have to realize that that is problematic. You are doing something to another person and you are not paying for the, the cost for your belief. I think that is a real I mean, I think that's a real issue. So, um, so I think, you know, so you're, so yes, Vanderbilt, if someone has a conscientious objection to pers- uh, for participating in this sort of surgery, it, it would probably have to accommodate you to the extent that you can find another person who can do your job, who doesn't have an objection, other things of that nature. But I just want you to take home that saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious, because of your religious beliefs, is not without consequences, and and it should not be without consequences. And I just want to put that out there. We are given enormous. If you don't want to do this kind of work, don't work at Vanderbilt. Can you can you imagine being that educated and having someone tell you that you can't think? That you can't have any conviction. Can you imagine? And, and and respectfully, can you imagine paying all of that money to be educated, to be trained, right? Can you imagine all of the schooling that goes into being a surgeon, that goes into being a doctor, and and then to be told that when you sort of and and please excuse me, I don't I don't mean to be hyperbolic in this, but can you, you reach the pinnacle of what it is to demonstrate um, an ability to do the difficult, and yet. You can't do what the basic people among us can do, which is say, I think that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. Whoa, wait, what? (laughs) What? Like, 
think about where we are. And so, okay, if you have a conscientious objection, okay, yeah, we'll recognize that. But here is your accommodation. You must find someone else to do it for you. Wait, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) That's not an accommodation. Sure it is, because I said so. Because why? Because ultimately, we need the money from these surgeries. We got entire clinics that are supported by these surgeries alone. You think we're not going to get into this? This is a lucrative industry. Why would we pass this up? It's the next hot thing at hospitals. Wow. And as you rightly say, well, the great, but these are people's lives. Yeah. Guys, we need profound bravery among believers today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.